I, uh, I had a phone in my pocket and I remembered that. So I went to reach my phone to, uh, to get a bit of help and, you know, not being able to move any part of my body. That was sort of the, the point in time where I thought, you know, something's seriously wrong here. Charles Bryce just completed a 300-kilometre ride, which is impressive by anyone's standards, but he did it without the use of his legs. Hand cycling from the Riverland to Adelaide and raising $130,000 for spinal injury research. Charles' life changed forever in 2010 when a motorbike accident destroyed his spine and made him a quadriplegic. I kept thinking over in my head, uh, you know, I, I must have been a bit of a shock. You know, who breaks their neck? Like... I was 19, I was invincible. With the life he planned on living taken from him in an instant, he was faced with the monumental challenge of adapting to a brutal new reality. Through extreme adversity, he has done just that and now even considers himself lucky. You've got to have a sense of humour about it as well. Like, that's one of the biggest things that has gotten me through. Welcome to Young Blood, a podcast all about young men's health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our mission to talk about the stuff that matters and isn't talked about enough. Let's do it. Tell us about your life before the accident. Uh, Life before my accident was just like any other childhood, really. I guess it probably wasn't like any other childhood. I I feel really blessed with the childhood that I had. I was exposed to, you know, a lot more opportunities, you know, throughout my younger years than what I saw other kids had when I was growing up. I was very active. I played footy, cricket, basketball, squash, rode motorbikes, raced go-karts, um, flew aeroplanes. So I really had really had nothing to complain about when I was growing up. Um, and of course, growing up in Narracourt, uh, you're exposed to probably a lot more things than what kids are in the city um, are, I guess. So yeah, like I I love my childhood and I wouldn't, wouldn't swap it for anything. Were you a little adrenaline junkie? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, any spare time I had, I was, you know, after school, before school, weekends, I was just always on the motorbike. And From what age? Oh, I got my first motorbike when I was four. Um, so was I, young, so you only just started walking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, like, I don't think I had a push bike for that long either, so... Just, wanted to go faster. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I didn't, I can't really ever remember sort of wanting a motorbike. And I think I, I woke up Christmas morning and, you know, like four or five o'clock, like all young kids do, and just saw a, a silhouette of a motorbike. And I thought, oh, I'm struck gold here. And yeah, just like from that day on. And um, it was just something that I, I love doing. And, but yeah, like then there's like, like the motorbikes and like racing go karts as well. It's, it, for me, anything that had a motor in it and that you could go fast, I was, I was into it. Oh, what was it about the bike for you? Yeah, I guess it's just a, a bit of freedom, really. Like you can jump on the bike and, um, you know, and I, I guess, yeah, like adrenaline, like you said, you, um, you, know, you can just tear around and have a whole lot of fun. And um, like the house that I grew up in, we had a pretty big yard for for a house in town and you know you could always go flat out around the yard and yeah it was just something that i always loved doing and so were you a boarder in adelaide yeah so uh, i spent sort of 15 years in narracourt um did all my schooling there and then moved out to adelaide 
for years 10 11 12 at, at Pembroke so I boarded yeah for three years and, and what did you do when you finished school I moved back down to Narracourt uh, for a while just to um, had a sort of summer job and then after that finished I sort of didn't really know where I was headed uh, I still had you know big dreams to be a pilot and you know started my pilot license when I was 15 so I knew I wanted to finish that off but you know you know make money somehow so I was always pretty busy um, and then uh, I had a phone call from a, a really good mate of mine who asked me if I'd wanted to go and work on his family's property up in the Riverland and and then you were up there for a, a few months and tell us about the day of the accident yeah, so I was there for about six weeks. Again, I was uh, still coming back to Adelaide to, to play football on the weekends and we had a bye in the city and we uh, we organised a motorbike ride with a few guys from around the area and I thought it would be a really good opportunity to meet some more locals and sort of sort of expand my friendship group in the area. So, so it was um, just for fun, sort of? Yeah, it was uh, just a bit of a trail ride before a game of footy and yeah we'll probably probably out for oh, I don't know maybe an hour and up around there like the, we weren't on a, a track we were you know you you follow the side of the road and there's you know there's tracks that sort of weave in and out through trees and you know you're looking at probably a, a 40k ride um, how many times have you done a ride sort of like that though never right. or, or not in the area it was uh, the first one, and uh, it, you know that was probably the only point in time where I hadn't owned a motorbike. So um, I was riding the, the farm bike, which um, yeah you know, was, was heavier and slower than, than what all the other guys were riding. So I guess from the outset, I was um, I was at the back of the pack, and I didn't really know where I was going either. So but you're a very confident rider. Obviously, been doing it all your life. Yeah, I was I, I, I was confident in my ability. Yeah, um, I I knew that. I wasn't going to be keeping up with them, so I just sort of rode to to my ability on the bike that I was on. But yeah, probably five k's from home, maybe was just coming around a bit of a bend in the track, and there were you know a few successive bumps, which you know progressively got bigger, and yeah, you know, the front wheel of my bike dug into the into the one of the, the mounds, and um, yeah, I guess again being a heavier bike. Um, the front wheel dug in and sent me over the handlebars and I landed on my sort of head and neck and um, broke my neck, which has left me a quadriplegic. Do you remember hitting the sand? I don't remember hitting the sand. I came to pretty quick. Uh, I've got like, a really good memory of sort of the whole day, you know, before the ride, after the ride, or after the accident. When you were lying there, what was going through your head? Did you have an awareness of like, what had happened or...? No, I, I had no idea what, what I'd done to myself. I mean, I'd had plenty of accidents uh, beforehand, and yeah, you know, looking back on it, I've had sort of worse accidents than the one that I had um, on this day. And uh, I guess I was just, I was laying there. I, I couldn't move any part of my body. Yeah, I was just, I was just trying to assess the situation i had no idea previously about spinal cord injuries and and what the resulting um injuries would 
would mean for me. So I kept thinking over in my head, uh, you know, I, I must just be in a bit of shock. Must have just broke my legs or, you know. Because your brain wouldn't even be able to go go there at that time. Yeah, like, you know, who breaks their neck? Like, I was 19, I was invincible. Like, these things, these things don't happen to me. And I remember going through a school, a mate of mine, he had a motorbike accident too, and he broke his pelvis. And I remember, you know, just laying in the dirt, you know, I think, oh, you know, Dougal did this. Um, I, I think I must have just done the same thing. Mm. And But, yeah, it was probably a point in time where I, uh, I had a phone in my pocket and I remembered that. So I went to reach my phone to, uh, to get a bit of help and, you know, not being able to move any part of my body that was sort of the the point in time where i thought you know something's Fuck. seriously wrong here so um how long were you lying there for uh yeah being at the back of the group i knew that i was going to be there for quite a while by myself no one no one was coming behind me um so oh i, I hate to put an exact time on it but it, like it felt like a very long time it could have been 20 to 30 minutes yeah. um but you know we were, the guys were regrouping every sort of 15 to 20 minutes to catch up and so i knew i knew someone would be coming back for me it was just a matter of you know hanging in there and, and waiting for that sound of another motorbike to come back yeah and how did you get to hospital i got picked up by some paramedics and you know it wasn't until recently that I got to meet them again for the first time since my accident. And that was really good to chat to them. And uh, I guess I, I found out some more information about the day, which I didn't know. So I got picked up by the paramedics. I got What was the pain like? Were you like in and out of consciousness or do you, you couldn't feel anything? You, know, you would think breaking your neck, you'd be in like a world of pain. Yeah. But I, like, I wasn't. I was... You know when you have a, a bad night's sleep in like you don't you, know, you don't sleep on a pillow and you wake up with a bit mm. of a stiff neck like yeah that's all it was for me so again like that's probably another part of the reason why I didn't think you're thinking it can't be this bad yeah. but then at the same time you can't move yeah that's right so yeah it was, it was confusing but yeah um, so I got taken to the Loxton Hospital um, they airlift you or no they right. did from the hospital they were going to airlift me from the site where I fell off but. You know, the weather was closing in, so um, I had to wait uh, until later that night. So, um, yeah, I got I got flown out of the Loxton Hospital there. Um, yeah, I spent uh, a few hours in, in the hospital and just medicated and probably a few tests done and, and stuff like that. So, And on the way there, did the paramedics tell you what had happened and, or what, did they, what were they saying? No, they didn't. They didn't tell me what was happened. Oh, they didn't tell me what I'd done because you know, I don't think they can. Because, you know, oh, like deep down they would have they would have known, but not having done any scans, they can't tell me you've broken your neck. You'll never walk again. Being in the being with the paramedics and on the way to hospital, like I just sort of I was in the I was in the ambulance with with Jock and like we were just laughing and like. It was sort of having a broken neck was the last thing on my mind, which, um, you know, I was asking the paramedics to take me to the bakery and to go and get some food beforehand. And 
um, you know, just confused and like as to why they didn't have the lights and sirens on and yeah, just stuff like that. Like it, it was just didn't seem real, sort of. No, nah, not really. Yeah, that's probably yeah. not part of the medication that they, they give me as well. So yeah. And so then, when you were in hospital, um, what did they tell you, or when did someone have that conversation with you? Uh, I think it was um, just before going into surgery. I remember, um, yeah, the doctor, she uh, told me that I'd broken the C5 and C6 vertebrae in my neck and that basically I'd, I'd never walk again. And, you know, having not walked since, you've really got to commend them on the spot-on diagnosis. Um, so, yeah, had surgery to fuse the bones in my neck and and then spent probably a good two, maybe three weeks being sedated, which, you know, if, and in that point of time, you, you ventilated as well. Um, so tube down the down the throat, um, which eventually got taken out to like a, a tracheostomy, which was much more comfortable. But, um, you know, I was, I was ventilated for quite a while. I lost 20 kilos um, and really like you you just a whole complexion changes you I, I didn't look at myself uh oh, it would have been three or four months I, I just avoided sort of any mirror that I could just because I like, I knew in myself that I'd changed completely um I'm not sure whether like a part of that was a, a bit of denial as well or just you know slight, slowly coming to to terms with what's happened and you're lying there but your mind's working so what yeah. was what was that that must have been torture it was tough like no doubt it's been the, the toughest thing that I've ever been through um but at the same time like it's it's also been really good um like I going through hospital I'd always had people you know visiting me the waiting room was was always full of, of friends and family so having that revolving door of people coming through it really it, I guess it takes your mind off things and like everyone was so supportive which for me like it just made things so much easier and it's something that you can't really like we like you you can't take for granted because like if like if I don't have the people and the support around me, then you, I can't, I can't tell you where I'd be. Like, yeah, it it just makes things so much easier. When the doctor said you'll never walk again, how did you take that? Oh, I think I just remember like bursting into tears, um, and that was that was sort of the first time that you know, shit, this is this is real. So um, you, you believed it? Oh yeah, I, like, I'm. Yeah, I, yeah, I believed it, and I've never, like, I've never been one to be like, like this is bullshit. I'm going to walk out of hospital, like, like, I'm going to be the one percent that walks out. Like, I'm going to do it. My hard work and determined, like, because you hear that that's sort of a, a typical story that you sometimes hear with these sorts of yeah things, and yeah. like, hope is like just such a dangerous thing, and like. I, I don't know, I'd, I'd play the cards that are in front of me and, like, if I go into hospital and rehab thinking, like, I'm going to be the one that walks out of here, like, 
and that never eventuates, then, you know, you're already, you know, mentally a step behind where you should be. So um, I just sort of took things as they came. Um, and I think that really helped me as well. And, yeah, you know, I knew I wasn't going to walk again because, you know, I couldn't lift my hand to or I couldn't lift my arms to, you know, to scratch my nose, to brush my teeth or do any of that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I just uh, just carried on with what I could and, you know, I probably had a few goals which, you know, one of them was to, to you know, push myself out in a, in a manual chair, which was really important for me. And yeah, it's just all those, all those little things that you regain sort of throughout hospital and rehab that, that makes things easier. What about your family? How did they take that? Were they there with you when the, the doctor first said that? Yeah. So, um, I think, I think dad was in Narracourt on the weekend and I, I think mum and one of my sisters were in Adelaide. So they got the phone call and then like met me at the hospital that Saturday night. My one of my other sisters had just spent basically twenty four hours travelling to uh Broome and had spent, you know, a few hours there and then got the phone call to say that I'd broken my neck. So I've ruined her holiday. She came back the next day and um yeah, the Family hardly left hospital at all in those sort of first few weeks and months as well. So, what was it like seeing seeing them and obviously knowing how upset they were? Was that in some ways as hard as or you know, harder than the way you were feeling about yourself? Or yeah, and I think like going through the whole experience, like I'm like it, it probably sounds a bit silly, but I'm like, I'm so grateful that it, it happened to me because like, I would. I would find it like near impossible to watch. Like I've got three sisters, so I'd find it like really, really hard to watch them go through what I'd gone through. So like, I'd I find it much easier to go through it myself than and then having to watch other people do it. I think yeah, I don't know. It'd just be so much harder for me. And what was it like for them watching you? Have they talked to you? Have you had that discussion? Oh, not in depth. Yeah. I'm sure it's probably been some of the hardest things that yeah. they've had to go through as well because, you know, it you know, a a broken a broken neck or a broken back does it like it doesn't just affect you know, that individual, it's their friends and family as well. Like my family had to make huge sacrifices in those early days and still do now. So and, you know, that's I don't know, it's family, I guess it's just what you do. Yeah. And so mentally, where were you, where were you at at that point? I've, I've always been pretty good mentally throughout the whole, what's, yeah, nine and a half years now. I can probably remember like two or three days I was in ICU and like I just had enough. Like I didn't want to see anyone except like family, I didn't want to see like close friends. I didn't want to see like people that I wasn't really close with. Um, it's like you have a lot of those people come through and, and want to visit you, um, which like is fantastic. It's great. But yeah, there were just like a few days where I, I didn't want 
anything to do with anyone. Like, just put me in a room. Let me, like, finally sort of come to terms with what's happened. Like, and it was probably, like, the first time where I'd, like, actually, like, had a good tear about it and just sort of, like, get it all out. And once I did, like, I was sort of back to normal, back to my happy self. Um, what was that process of coming to terms with it and accepting it like? Like, was it you know, having that cry and then being like, all right, or did that happen a whole number of times? Did you wake up and then remember that you were disabled and then go through it again, or what was the uh, Yeah, that's tough. Like, I've always just had a positive attitude on sort of everything that I've done. Um, and, like, I don't really know what to put that down to. I guess, like, the people around me is, is one thing. But, yeah, so I guess for me I was just able to, I guess, just get on with it as well. I mean, like, I remember vividly when I, um, I was having a, uh, a flying lesson one Saturday morning and my flying instructor said to me, oh, we were talking about something. And I was like, oh, doesn't that piss you off? He's like, oh, like, why... Like why worry about the things that you can't change? Um, and I just, like, I just remember him saying that, and I sort of I've carried that through because, like, it's, like, it's true. Like, what else? Like, if you can't change anything, sort of, there's no point, you know, fussing or worrying about it. So, yeah, I I try and just sort of remember that of of all aspects of life, and you know, my situation is not going to change. So. Might as well make the most of it. So, what became your attitude? With like, did you? What did you decide you wanted to do from there? I, I've, I think I've always just wanted to, like, get better, get healthier, get stronger. But yeah, I guess also just like keep in mind what like what was possible for me. Like, you know, as I said, like I knew I wasn't going to walk out of rehab. But um, yeah, I guess just trying to better myself, like as a as a person and physically as well. So yeah, and just sort of remember, like I guess how lucky I was to to be in the situation that I was because the spinal unit at rehab was right next to the brain injuries unit, and you know yeah, you see some people that are going through the brain injuries unit and you see other people that are going through the spinal ward as well. And yeah, for me, I, I was just able to look at myself and look at the situation and be like, shit, like I'm so lucky to be like where I am with you know, the the people that I've got around me. So just grateful to be cognizant. Yeah, absolutely. Like I you know, I had a pretty big pretty big fall and yeah, you know, there's every chance that if you have a if you have a big stack, then like who knows where like your where your brain's going to be at as well. So I'm yeah just lucky that you know I can remember mum and dad and like recognise people and you know still be able to have a conversation with them. Some people would probably argue that my my brain's been affected, but. <laughs> Um, you could say you're already like that. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, so by the time you got out of rehab, how far had you come? Yeah, so going into rehab, 
couldn't touch my face, couldn't really do anything uh, for myself. I spent uh, 14 months and two weeks in rehab and then, yeah, wheeled myself out um, on the day that I left. So it was exciting to leave. Yeah. Um, but also, like, really nervous as well because, yeah, I spent the better part of 18 months, um, you know, in hospital and rehab where, like, you've got nurses, doctors around you if anything goes wrong. Um, like, you've got sort of – you've got really good help um, when you need it. So then moving out as a 19-year-old um, who has – no experience of being a quadriplegic mm. and you know moving into a new house with like a, like you, you're living a completely new life so yeah it's exciting in one hand but then to leave like it's just really nerve-wracking because you're you're entering back into society like in you know like in a physical way that you don't really know how to live and that really where no one can really teach you how to live like that. So, um, but, you know, once you've been, once I've been home for a while, it sort of, you know, like anything, it becomes second nature and um, life becomes more normal, whatever normal is. And you were able to become, become independent pretty much? Yeah, oh, that, like, I'm not, like, still to this day, I'm not completely independent. So like, I get a bit of help. Sort of mornings and nights, just for you know, um, you know, jumping in and out of bed and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, but certainly, like over my time at being at home, I've I've become more and more independent. I live at home by myself now, and you, you, I guess you just like automatically regain more independence, like just by having to do things by yourself and uh, for yourself, and just just finding different ways around. Uh, the things that you need. So talk about the ride. When did that idea come up and then how did it progress and turn into like what it became? Yeah, so Will to Walk, that all came about when um, a friend of mine, Sarah Arnold, she came to me and this was six years after my accident and she came to me one day and said, I've been sitting on the, this idea ever since your accident. I want to raise some money for you. My idea is to walk from your accident site to Narracourt, uh, where we both grew up. I was like, like, cool, that's a great idea. Um, like, I want to do it with you. But I also didn't want it to be all about me in terms of, like, fundraising. So, yeah, you know, six years have passed. Um, there'd been plenty of fundraisers for me throughout that time. And, you know, like, I was in a pretty good space like yeah you know, i just i'd feel really bad if you keep going back to the same people like the same communities asking for money where really like i was you know i'm in my own house i've i'm set up with a with a car that i can get in and out of and like for me i i didn't want to make it um, you wanted it to be bigger than you yeah exactly so i guess being a um an ambassador for the Wings for Life World Run, who they, you know, their sole purpose is to try and find a cure for spinal cord injuries. 
I thought, you know, let's let's raise some money for the bigger picture and, you know, try and help out everyone that's had a spinal cord injury. So do get them back a, on their feet. Do you have any idea how many people were in a similar boat to you, like in Australia? There's 15,000 people with a spinal cord injury in Australia. There's about 400 new cases every year. So, um, you know, just over one a day, really. Um, someone's life changes dramatically. And, you know, I thought if I could do something little and contribute in a way that helps other people then you know why not go for it so it turned into yeah a walk from Peruna to Narracourt to to a bike ride from uh, Peruna to to Adelaide um, so we had uh, we had 21 cyclists join us and like it was both like the worst thing I've done how, how far is that by the way just over 300 kilometres. So we did it over four days, um, which, you know, it's a long way. It's a, it's a long way it's a long to way. drive. <laughs> yeah. It's a long way to ride. Like, Especially with your hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I guess like the whole process, it was like two years in the making. And when I like, when we came up with the idea, I hadn't even owned a bike. Mm. I didn't know whether I could ride a bike. You know, I was uh, really fortunate enough to have some funding uh, for the bike because, you know, I'd, you don't get much change out of $27,000 for, for a hand cycle. So it's a lot of money to outlay when, when you don't know whether you could ride one or not. But, yeah, luckily I was able to able to do it. So, yeah, 300 kilometres, uh, we went from Sodom accident into Loxton, uh, which was... Uh, and was that the first time you'd been back there? It was the first time I've been back to the site of my accident. Mm. I went back to the actual site the day before, did a bit of filming there. And yeah, I went, I was there with dad and, um, and Jock as well. So what was that like? Um, it was, it was interesting. It was really rewarding as well. Like I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know whether I should expect to be really emotional, upset, but you know, I'd only spent, six weeks in the Riverland and you know it, that that exact road where I fell off I hadn't been to very often I don't think I'd driven down there much and I sort of didn't really recognize it so like and like you could have shown me any part of a track any road in the area and said you fell off there and it just it would have Look the same. Yeah, it would have looked the same. It would have meant the same. But yeah, like I guess it's more like interesting for me to be like, okay, like this is where it all happened. Um, yeah, I can remember sort of my surroundings a little bit. But yeah, like it's just it was good to go back. Were you aware in that moment of how much had changed in all those years? Like for me personally. Yeah. Um yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was probably a good time to like reflect on what I'd been through and yeah, I guess just the whole sort of nine years, like it's gone so fast as well. So yeah, I mean, it's good to go back and sort of check it out. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's not a place that I was scared to go back to. Like it's just, it's just, one of those things that happen. And so when you were out there, 
so I mean that sounds tough so physically and mentally doing that ride just like take us through how grueling that was yeah oh like we had it all like we started on the Wednesday morning and it was raining and like up until this point keep in mind like my biggest ride on the bike was like 45 k's and like I did everything to that I could to prepare I had like I'd had the bike for nine months before the ride and I guess in that time I'd I'd also had to have like surgery on my thumb because I'd ruptured a tendon so like there's an eight week step back yeah and then throughout the winter I got the flu so like I didn't even want to look at the bike for a good month yeah so there's like three months of not doing anything and then yeah my longest ride was 45 k's and you know going into the ride where 50 k's was the shortest day mm. I was like shit I don't even know if I'm going to be able to do it were you just trying to not think about that and just do yeah, it yeah were you just like fuck it we've come this far I've got the idea oh yeah and like you know like Sarah and I put in so much hard work to to organize it all yeah I wasn't gonna not do it I wasn't gonna <laughs> not do it yeah. and so like, I figured you know Jess Tringove never runs 42 kilometers when she's training for a marathon so you know if she can do that then I can ride 300 k's with only you know a 45 kilometer ride uh, beforehand so day one was uh, accident site to Loxton as I said we started in the rain and it was just like hill after hill after hill you get to the top of one hill and you think like yes we've made it yet you, you look ahead and like all you can see is the top of the next hill so bit of a metaphor for life there. yeah exactly <laughs> so we got through it and then like throughout the end of the night like, throughout the end of the ride like it was hot like it was stinking hot the hills again like they got me and i can't regulate my body temperature this is only the last month october yeah, october. yeah, yeah. um so i can't like i can't regulate my body temperature as a side effect of the injury so like when you get hot you sweat and that cools your body down so for me like all that heat just stays inside of me and like i got into loxton and like i was just wrecked like exhausted yeah like physically emotionally like i was hot like and i was just done that's day one yeah it's day one and like tomorrow we've got 100 kilometers in front of us (laughs) and we've got an event that night that you know like I got, got back to the camera park, like had a shower and just, yeah, like all the, it was just. But wanted, you can't quit. Is that, is that the thought in your head though? Yeah, yeah. Like you can't quit, but I was just like so exhausted. And yeah. That night, like we had an event at the pub and like, I had to make a speech and like, I'd, I'd done the speech beforehand, like at another event and I thought I'd like, would have nailed it and yeah i was just a mess like i was just like i was trying hard like not to try a lot of expectation man yeah um but yeah just got into bed that night and just crashed and 
Got up at 6.30 the next morning and thought, you know, let's go for a 100k ride. Was that on a decline at least at nah. all? <laughs> no. <laughs> nah. And we had, like, we had four days of headwinds. Like, <laughs> as, like we couldn't catch a break. Yeah. But you Don't, kept going. You did it. Yeah, yeah. you have to. And, like, yeah. I had, like, pretty well my whole family was there, um, like, support crew and my closest friends were on the ride as well and... Yeah, all these people had come together for for this ride and like for the one reason to to raise money and awareness for spinal cord injuries and you know, I'm you know, I'm not gonna quit because, you know, everyone's made sacrifices to be there and you know, I I guess I'm pretty determined, sort of borderline yeah, I, stubborn. So I you like could, I, you probably you probably justify <coughs> saying that already. Yeah. And like I didn't want to I didn't want to tell anyone that you know, oh, I couldn't do it. No. Nah. Like, that's just... It goes against everything just, that you sort of stand for. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What was it for? Yeah. <laughs> Poor choice of words. <laughs> um, so when you did get through it, though, did you have a finish line or do you remember, like, the moment where it was done and sort of the reaction of everyone when you got through it? Yeah, so after four days, we rode into Adelaide and uh, the finish line was at Victoria Park Racetrack. Um so there's probably like a hundred people turn out to welcome us back and I remember riding next to Sarah sort of coming into Victoria Park. I, I look up at her and like she's just got tears running down her face and I was like, oh, shit, like don't do that. Not now. Did it set you off? No uh like I had a few lumps in my throat. Yeah. Um and I was like, don't do this now. Like, there are people around. We've had four <laughs> bloody days to do this. Like, not now. It's, like, selfish of her. Um, and then, like, just having everyone at Victoria Park cheering us in. And I guess it was just a point in time where you could look back and um, think, like, shit, we've raised a heap of money. We've had... A whole lot of fun along the way and just like the support that everyone's shown like it was like it was really emotional it was really good and when we got in i took sarah down past everyone and was able to just give her a bit of a hug and congratulate her for what we've been able to achieve because like she was huge in this whole thing like there's no way that you know, wheel to walk would have been possible if it wasn't for her help as well. So, yeah, like it was just a massive relief to to finally ride into Adelaide and 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 know what we've done is, I guess, pretty significant, and that will hope change the lives of plenty of people that you know already have a spinal cord injury, but also that the that the people that don't yet already because. You know, there's people out there walking the streets now that may not be in 12 months' time and, you know, they don't discriminate, so. And you raised some serious cash. Yeah, we raised 130 grand, which going into it, our target was 100. And I sort of picked 100 grand because I looked at what sort of other fundraisers had done and, you know, they'd... Some of the big ones had far excelled 100 grand. And I was like, oh, if they can do it, like we can too. Yeah. And it wasn't until like you really get into the whole process of, you know, 
raising money and finding sponsors and um, putting the idea out there that you realise that, like, this is hard work. Yeah. Like, it's so There's hard. a lot more goes into it than just doing the ride. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, for Sarah and I, raising 100 grand is a, a pretty good achievement, but, like, also recognise that it's, it's not because of us. It's because of, like everyone out there who was so generous with their time and with their money and it's it's the people that donated the money it's all because of them it's not because of you know myself or you know any of the other riders it's um it's just all the people that have banded together and that have wanted to help out what's kept you going through all this life doesn't stop like the sun's going to come up tomorrow and yeah like you've just got to get on with it because you don't really have any other options and i don't want to be stuck at home you know sitting in a dark room for the rest of my time like that doesn't sound fun for anyone yeah i just want to continue with my life as as best as i can like i've you know i've been throwing a curveball where i couldn't you know, I, I'm not going down the, the pathway that I thought I would be when I was 18 or 19. So, you know, you've got to find different avenues to, to have fun and, and to, you know, and to make a living. So, you know, yeah, life doesn't stop and you just got to, you're going to make, you're going to make it what it is. So, Have you found those ways to have fun and, you know, what kind of enjoyment do you draw out of your life now? And what are, what are the things that really mean something to you yeah like i was such an active person before the accident like sport was my life um and now like it took a while for for me to find like new hobbies because like i think being a quadriplegic it's quite difficult to find like new hobbies that are like i guess accessible and, and common as well so i um I started playing wheelchair rugby, you know, a few years after my accident, and that was great fun. Like I was able to meet a new bunch of guys, and then like you're playing this like fierce competitive yeah. ball game on top where which you've been you've been missing for you know a long time. Yeah, like I'm such a competitive person, so you know it was just a lot of fun to be able to get in a chair and like if you've never seen wheelchair rugby, like it's just basically wheelchairs just smashing each into other. each other <laughs> yeah, basically rugby <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so um you know there was that and just i guess like my love of like flying and aviation i got into remote control planes and realized that i wasn't very good at that yeah. so but then like the whole like drone phase came along and i sort of got into that a bit and started up my own business doing aerial photography a couple of years ago and then yeah like cycling has been my new hobby where it's i guess it's like it's a hobby but um there's also the competitive side of it as well so you must have got a lot of self-belief out of doing that event that you did as well in the in terms of what you can do with with hand cycling like after going all that way yeah like i didn't think that i was going to be able to sort of complete sort of as much of it as i did yeah it just sort of opens new doors, um, which you know I'm 
pretty excited about for for the future and and again like you just get to meet new people through cycling and it's just a way that i'll be able to get back in a competitive sport as well and so what are you striving for with the cycling so there's a few every now and then there's a few races around adelaide but i guess for me in the classification that i'm in like i think i'm the the only one in adelaide or sa that is hand cycling so as like as far as a competitive like the competitive side in adelaide like there's not much going um but like coming up in january there's the national championships and then i sort of look a couple of weeks after that there's a paracycling race at the tour down under which like is the first one ever to beat the tour down under and there's 10 grand up for grabs which yeah it's just huge for so that, you'll for be in paracycling. that yeah i'll be yeah. in that yep so it's a it's a handicap race i'll be i'll be racing against people like paraplegics with you know other like hand cyclists and um so every sort of category and then yeah just i'll handicap it and but you know like it's opportunities like that for the sport as well because you know i don't think there are many events where you get the chance to win 10 grand not for mm. a not for a paracycling race as well so so what's the training like now for you pretty busy uh so i'm in the gym anywhere between sort of two and four times a week and then i'm on the bike yeah, four times a week as well um what so, are you doing in the gym uh so strength and conditioning twice a week and then i'll go to another gym and do maybe a little bit more cardio um but then there's like the time to like work with physios and like, like get a bit of recovery in and yeah the four times on the bike um throughout the week just to sort of really really push it hard so and then you got all the other stuff you got going on as well work and this and that too so. yeah so working two days a week uh the abc um so yeah life's pretty busy fit a lot of different things in but yeah it's all it's all worth it and it's all it's all achievable what about relationships have you got some time for some love in your life uh oh there's always time for that isn't there <laughs> you got to make time for that sure exactly you know have you have you met anyone since since having your accident or yeah like relationships are still um achievable uh albeit a little bit different to yeah. you know your your regular um relationships so i guess for me like i've i've probably had two relationships since um uh, being in a chair and yeah i guess going into it like it's it's like for me it's like quite nerve-wracking now i guess like and i've like i've always sort of been like confident in that area yeah but like opening up to someone and i guess i guess a lot of the nervousness comes around like wondering what they think of your situation and like like, like, cause you've got to be like pretty vulnerable, and like you've got to let them into like some pretty like detailed aspects of your life now, and like yeah, they're not always pretty. No, um, yeah. So yeah, like I guess for me, like, like yeah, it's like nervous sometimes, and but I like, I figure too, like, like stuff it like if like if that I don't know if the person's 
I don't know if worth it is the right word, but like you just like you just pull those barriers down and you think oh just let them know and if if they if they're cool with it then you know they're probably worth hanging around for a little bit longer and um and you found that has been the case on on some occasions or? uh yeah um like quite often people are like they don't really care um about my situation um but yeah like i don't i haven't had too many negative experiences really which which is good like it's good for me it's good for other people out there with um other disabilities as well so but yeah i mean it's always nice to have someone in your life yeah so you know marriage and potentially children is that still a a thing one day or uh yeah for like for me i'm quite open to it i'm not sort of i'm not ready to settle down i'm not looking to you know find the next person that wants to marry me and have my baby yeah, that's right <laughs> we won't put this out there as an ad for that that's no. All good. <laughs> <laughs> no but like you know if like the right person comes along and you know if you're both at a point in time in your life where you want the same things then like yeah like kids are still possible yeah. um i'm not you know i'm not in any rush to to have them tomorrow or yesterday like you know, i sort of sometimes feel like i don't have my my own shit together rather like let yeah. alone having to look after someone yeah. else so that's I've right. got, you're not even 30 yet so no that's right and i've got five nieces so you know they're they're enough to got a bit of an idea of what that'll be like anyway oh yeah but i mean like you know they're they're cool and to and fun to hang around so like yeah yeah it's good enough for me at the moment yeah so what are you what are you striving for now i guess like for me i just want to get my life back on track like i've just well not back on track but like <laughs> i've just yeah got my first proper job i guess so i want to make a good go of that you know it's been nine years out of the workforce and something that's really important to me to to get back into but then there's also like the the cycling side of things as well and taking that sort of rather seriously and tokyo is probably out of the question at the moment but you know looking forward like hopefully you know the paralympics are are an option that's where where i'm at at the moment as well like i still really want will to walk to to continue um raising money and awareness for spinal cord injuries where um we're probably just in the process the process at the moment of working out what we're going to do next and it probably won't be a ride from my accident site to adelaide again but it'll be hopefully something as enjoyable and as physically demanding and, and grueling and hopefully it's something that you know we can you know replicate in terms of money raised of what we've done this year because you know the 130 grand uh, that we raised today that that's able to fund like one study for for a whole year so um makes a difference yeah oh yeah absolutely and it's probably something that i've become really passionate about in the last sort of two years where you know beforehand i i wasn't really interested in it because you know i was just happy with my life you know pretty happy and content with how things were and 
you know, as I said earlier, like hope's a dangerous thing. But you know, I guess now, if I if if I can do something to help change the outcome of spinal cord injuries, and you know, I'll, I'll have a fair crack at it. How do you see your accident now when you reflect on it? It's obviously been like tough, and like you wouldn't really, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. But at the same time, like it's probably been one of the best things that's happened to me. Um, I feel like I've probably become a, a better person because of it. Um, I've been able to, I've been exposed to um, you know, opportunities that I wouldn't have been able to beforehand. I've, I've met people that I wouldn't have been able to meet before, and um, you know, and you know, the people that I wouldn't have been able to meet beforehand. Like I'm, you know, some of those people that. You know, the most important people in my life so I don't look at it as a as a negative thing like I'd probably just now look at my life as you know and being in a wheelchair is just an expensive hobby what would you say to someone in a similar situation to yours who thinks that their things are never going to get better yeah like giving advice is really tough because like, I find like a spinal cord is a bit like like a fingerprint like there's it's so unique like and everyone's situation is unique and um you know it's not just about um you know their their physical outcome like it goes back to like like family like um like family dynamics and uh i guess like a bit of financial situation as well um but like just I guess always just try and surround yourself with with people that are going to make your life better and and more enjoyable and you know you've you've got to have a sense of humor about it as well like that's one of the biggest thing that has gotten me through through life and just like yeah life doesn't stop so just try and make the most of your situation whatever whatever that may be that's powerful man <laughs> it is, well, it I, is. Was, I don't know yeah Oh yeah, you like you just you gotta do it. Um, You're a humble cat. Well, <laughs> I try to be. Yeah. If you got something out of this episode, please leave a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show, so we can keep bringing you the content that matters. If you want to stay up to date with what we're doing and get involved, get onto the Young Blood Podcast Community Facebook group and follow Young Blood Podcast on Instagram. And if you're keen to get in touch with me, email youngbloodpodcast or one word at hotmail.com. This podcast was produced by the talented Rory Noak at Podbooth. You can check them out at podbooth.com.au. This is Young Blood. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time.